myself, I take off physical space. Twigs and branches against my skin. My breath evaporating into the cold air. The last time you touched me, we were walking home together. Your hand on my back. The moon hangs limp in the sky. What am I doing here? Down. The traffic rattles my window, and the future makes my teeth ache. Why do I look outward over my body? What's wrong with a little self-deception? your piece none of this noise is helpful after midnight what can you tell us about it yeah well it was funny when you um when I got the email from Kat about writing a two-minute piece sort of reflecting on time right now it was kind of just before I set off on something I've been doing at about 11 30 p.m every night of isolation which is going for an obscenely long walk in the cold um and I, I live with another, uh, at the time I lived with another composer, um, but in a very different genre. And um, both of us kind of realised that basically everything good and bad that was happening during quarantine for us happened after midnight. Um, so, yeah, I was thinking a lot about the little sounds and the little kind of like inappropriate in normal times things we did after midnight. But then I was also thinking about the like... um the sheer crushing existential dread as well. Um, so it's, it's kind of, it's a piece about that, I guess, um, which, yeah, I mean, obviously the world's changed again since I wrote it and, you know, what's going down in the States in regards to racial justice makes a lot of those kind of like, a lot of those, that kind of self-directed dread seem a little less relevant. But yeah, it was it was a fun exercise. It was a fun kind of concept to play with. And, yeah, we really enjoyed playing your piece because, um, you know, we know you're familiar with the score player and, and with the, the notation, uh, animated notation. Um, but I was interested um, to hear from you about um, your experience of these strange times. I mean, you just mentioned then about, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and how that's kind of exploded almost out of the COVID times or alongside it or something. Um, but I just wondered what your experience of this time has been, both personally, but also as a music, you know, as a person working in the music industry, as a musician and a composer. Yeah, I mean, it's been mixed, hasn't it, really, for all of us? I mean, mm. yeah, uh, my day job isn't music. Uh, my day job is in hospitality. So I, yeah, I manage a little bar and uh, obviously we closed very suddenly uh, and very thoroughly. Um, and um so for me, it was like a, basically all of my routine evaporated in kind of one day. Um, so it was this weird thing. And I think something this piece tries to touch on where it's like, I kind of feel like personally I've had a reset switch hit. Like I feel like mm, 
I don't know. It's weird. I, I feel slightly tempted to offer like my hot takes on like this as a global experience and this, you know, and BLM as a global experience, but the reality is all I can talk to really is my experience. And um, yeah, in terms of my experience, it's been this weird reset switch where all of a sudden when I'm not working, uh, when I don't have, when I can't go to the pub, when I can't see live music, when I can't kind of do anything except hang around at home. Um, yeah, it's it's actually weirdly, it's it's been a really great time for my art practice, which isn't to say, yeah, I don't know. I still wouldn't say it's been hyperproductive. Um, there was this great tweet sort of in about May, early May, where someone was like, you know, we all have like three good days and then two days where we enter the hell zone. And um, I've definitely <laughs> still, definitely still been experiencing the hell zone. But um, yeah, like I've, I've written quite a lot and listened to a lot of stuff I haven't had a chance to listen to in depth. And yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been weirdly good in many respects. But then, yeah, obviously, yeah, the last few weeks as someone who works and makes music a lot in America have been confronting, really confronting, and felt like they've been coming for a really long time. And um, the reality is how it makes me feel doesn't really matter at the end of the day. You know, it's, there's bigger things going on, but I've just been trying to do my best to amplify stuff I hear and, you know, give money when I can on this luxurious new level of new start. Um, it's not my first time on Centrelink, and this is by far the best time I've been on Centrelink. I'm, I'm loving it. Um, it's like, wow, I can afford I can afford fresh vegetables. What is this? Um, and and yeah. for those of you not in Australia, Centrelink is a social security system, and um, fresh fruit and vegetables are more expensive than... <laughs> <laughs> other food it seems i don't know if nah. it's the same everywhere <laughs> nah look it's, it's one of those weird like um yeah for people outside of australia it's been our social security's been doubled which means we're now just over the poverty line for our social yeah. security but still significantly below the minimum wage but it's yeah it's it's weirdly livable in my extremely cheap small city and um yeah it's i don't know it's been a good chance to write some stuff and to reflect on kind of my priorities and artistic artistic and personal priorities and a few people have um, headed back to those smaller cities, right? Like I know in Melbourne, quite a lot of people have returned um, to Adelaide or Perth or, you know, regional centres because their, their um, share houses have broken up or their university doesn't require them on campus anymore. There's a whole range of different reasons. It's been interesting to see that the, the shift that happened right at the start, which is now gradually changing again. Um, and you, you, you're someone who's uh, worked with Decibel before and I, I, I mean one of the aims of this project was to kind of engage the community that, that Decibel has built or engaged with over, over times and has community been important to you during this time? I mean not this project necessarily but other, you know, have you kind of sought out other you know, collaborators from the past or um, kind of built, got brought community closer or have you found it a time to kind of do your own thing? I think what community has, I think community for me during all of this, but also prior to a certain extent, can mean like really hyper-specific things and really kind of, did like really kind of, I guess, like more, like less defined things as well, you know? Like I feel like in the most, in the definite sense, um, in the most obvious sense in many respects, you know, a lot of my friends live in different time zones and, uh, 
we're used to contending with time zones and work schedules, but now we're just contending with time zones. So, you know, I've been able to go to like, went to my friend's birthday, uh, sorry, birthday, um, my friend's baby shower in North Carolina the other week, which was right. delightful, <laughs> which would never have happened. Um, I've spent a lot of uh, Saturday mornings hanging out with my friends in the States on their Friday nights. Um, and then, yeah, you know, like, so in that, in like the more concrete sense, I'd say that my social life has changed for the better. Like, I feel like I'm talking to more people, but then, yeah, like in, in a more abstract sense, I guess I've been thinking a lot about community as well, because, you know, especially, yeah, as a queer man, it's been interesting to watch the world really seriously do the hard work of ethically figuring out what we owe to each other in terms of not spreading a pandemic and how we kind of negotiate with public space and each other's bodies. And yeah, I don't know. It's been interesting to see people grapple with how hard that actually is. Um, And I found that sort of sense of community that's come out of that actually really wonderful and comforting on some level. Um, Yeah. I think it's, yeah. As someone who's young enough to only, well, to somewhat to, well, young enough to have to contend with the memory of the AIDS pandemic as it applies to like white gay men in Australia, but also like AIDS and HIV is still a massive issue in Australia to some extent. Um, It's been really fascinating to sort of watch societally, you know, I think as a society, especially in Australia, we have like a very kind of like straight up and down moral response to things like AIDS, for example. And it's been interesting watching people kind of realise the ethical nuances of yeah, some of those things, but I don't know. I mean, that's a very specific personal response to this, but I've, I found it, I found it really interesting. I, I hope that we continue to take care of each other's bodies and spaces and continue to like understand that it's complicated going forwards with all of this stuff. I think what you're saying, um, it's really astute, your observation about care and the kind of ethical learning that's, that's taken place. I think that, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I hope it continues. And uh, yeah, some of the things you were saying about being able to attend or be part of communities that you, you wouldn't normally be able to, that's also something you know, everyone complains about Zoom and online meetings and how terrible they are. But there is also a kind of notion of safe space going on there too, isn't there? Yeah, 100%. And I think that there's, um, there's something really beautiful Actually, there's a great piece by um, actually an Adelaide conceptual artist called Monty Massey called Zoom Lord, which I highly encourage everyone to look at, which is just both extremely funny and actually weirdly moving piece about Zoom meetings and how the intimacy and the disconnect of them. Um, but yeah, you're totally right, Kat. I think that like to some extent we are more accessible to each other personally in a way that I guess to for many of us, our jobs, we've we've been accessible just in like the capitalistic sense in the past like a lot of those kind of like zoom is a business thing but we've all kind of taken control of it for our personal lives and I actually think that's beautiful I think it's beautiful that we've like taken serious skills we've learned at work um yeah around being connected perhaps inappropriately sometimes and turn that into <laughs> like you know and turn that into a beautiful thing I I really I genuinely I agree I think it's been bizarre but wonderful <laughs> And coming back to your piece, I mean, how did you find making a two-minute piece? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, for those of you who know my music, you'll know that most of the uh, most of the durations are thirty minutes plus. So, uh, 
yeah, I'm a very much a slow process, slow process driven composer. So it was, um, it was actually, it was a wonderful challenge, but weirdly with this piece, I think, um, yeah, because I centered it around a text that I wrote myself. Um, it was actually weirdly easier because it was just about, it was about voicing that rather than, I guess, my usual compositional process, which tends to be more process driven and more kind of like lengthy. This almost felt more improvisatory, um, which I think suits Decibel a lot. Played a decent amount of score player pieces, including a bunch of cats. So uh, <laughs> I'm familiar with the sensation. Um, I wondered if you had a story about that that you wanted to share with us to finish up. Is it, have you got a story uh, about um, a score play or decibel experience that you would like to share? I feel like I feel like the, my main decibel story is just our Facebook chat history, which is mostly just photos of injuries I've given myself playing chunk. Um, <laughs> but I, um, yeah, for those who don't know the piece, it's a very rambunctious, very very loud piece for piano and disc clavier, basically playing against each other. So I fought and um, I um, I commit to the bit. If it's one thing you can say about me as a performer and a composer, it's like I commit. And um, yeah, the last time I performed it, the last time I performed it, I split uh, my left elbow and I think like the right, the the pinky side of my right hand open on the piano of in a lobby in a Portuguese luxury hotel. And um, I think that's probably like if like go hard or go home. I think is kind of how I how I think about Decibel these days. Thanks so much. De- thanks for agreeing to um, write your piece, and I hope you like the way it's turned out on the video. And um, thanks so much for talking to me today. And I really appreciate your really insightful comments about communities and how this time has changed us all. Um, And I think there's a really positive message in there about how out of these strange things, things are never going to be the same, but maybe not a bad, not not in a bad way. We'll see. I hope so, because otherwise I'm going ham, you know, like if this doesn't change things, like, you know, this is it. Like my pivot to eco-terrorism is, you know, it's, it's, it's long. No, I'm joking. ASIO, I'm joking. I'm joking, ASIO, I swear. Uh, They're, They're all listening. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Kat. <laughs> Two Minutes From Home is a project initiated by the Decibel New Music Ensemble. It sees 22-minute online compositions commissioned for 2020. Each of these pieces engages with the Decibel Score Player, an iPad application that facilitates the network reading of graphic notation. Each commission results in an audiovisual outcome that can be found on our website, decibelnewmusic.com or vimeo.com forward slash decibelnewmusic. This project has been generously supported by the Australia Council for the Arts. <laughs>